0: Hello and welcome to Fire Headlines, where we discuss the hottest topics in fire service news. I'm your host, Samantha Didion, and today I am joined by the panel, Chief Bob Horton and Chief Jeff Buchanan. Our topic for today is emergency response in specialized areas, specifically theme parks. The Reedy Creek Improvement District Emergency Services is now known as the Central Florida Tourism Oversight District. This department is located in the central part of its jurisdiction, which is right behind Epcot. The department has a unique EMS service delivery program where they provide paramedics and EMTs inside the theme park areas. This program helps significantly reduce patient contact time. I had a question come to mind almost immediately when reading this article. And that was related to how states decide where fire departments are needed and the sort of resources they're going to have. I did a little bit of research and Epcot's capacity is well over 100,000 people, but the average visitor per day is around 34,000. And then this number changes to 31,000 for Hollywood studios. Jeff, how does that compare to the populations served for urban fire departments?
1: Samantha, let me just start off by saying I am a Disney dork. I love Disney, I'm fascinated by Disney. And uh, truth be told, I went on my honeymoon to Disney World. Love Disney. How does it compare to other urban cities around the country? Well, it is it is a city. It's a city inside of a city, inside of Orlando. Walt Disney World, Magic Kingdom, the Epcot Center, the entire complex is exactly that. It is a medium to large size city, so it stacks up against other fire departments in the country. They are, I don't know the ins and outs of all the resources of Reedy Creek. I just know that they operate as a separate fire department. I've met and talked to many firefighters that work for Reedy Creek and uh, that now is, you know, moved to this new district and, and, and they love it. And so I would tell you that the resources that they provide are not dissimilar, that are right on par with other fire departments in cities across the country. So very, very, uh, very, very close, in fact. And, And what the fire departments across the country and what Disney has been able to do is leverage pieces of the community with the fire department. In this case, what did Disney do? Well, they have defibrillators and highly trained people inside of their parks. And that directly contributes to what we call, uh, you know, in, in, in layman's terms, it's it's successful, but what we call in the field ROSC, which is return of spontaneous circulation, that's the gold standard. You're trying to get that back. And how do they do it? They do it by providing outstanding training so that they have employees that are able to respond and put their hands on people that are going down in cardiac respiratory arrest and give quality CPR. And then they give them the training to apply electrical therapy in what's called an AED, an automated external defibrillator. And these are two pieces in what the American Heart Association refers to as the chain of survival. And what does that chain of survival look like? You have early access to 911, you have early CPR, you have early AED, and then the final piece is getting those individuals quickly and effectively to a hospital so they could get into a cath lab and have a stent put in for that piece of their heart that isn't getting the blood flow like they need. So where I see Disney, and not just because I'm biased, but I think that they've done an excellent job training their employees, outfitting their employees to their fire department and their inside of their community mirror highly successful cities across the United States and how they interface with their emergency response system. I think it's a it's 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 definitely something that Disney should celebrate.
2: Yeah, I agree with you on that, Jeff. And this article actually highlights a statistic that states Disney goers have a 60 to 70% chance of surviving a cardiac arrest compared to the 10% chance they would have anywhere else in the country. And the fire district attributes this statistic to the public access to AEDs around the park, as well as their training, like you just mentioned. Bob, I know that you are a huge Disney fan as well. So what are your thoughts on this?
3: You might have passed by my office a time or two and saw my Mickey Mouse shaking hands with the firefighter statue and picture uh, that I had. So uh, that is absolutely correct. Jeff pointed out really important things. And I want to add on to what what he had to say. First of all, it's a a very unique governance structure, one that I don't actually completely understand. Uh, Reedy Creek has got wrapped up in some of the dust up that was going on between the state of Florida and Disney. And there was, they were their own special district managed by Disney and then state of Florida uh, withdrew that. And now it's a different type of district. But what I want to highlight about that is it's a public private partnership. Uh, and I think this demonstrates how that can be valuable in providing service delivery to a population. Cause this is a public-based EMS system as I understand it. It was, it was very difficult for me to ascertain that from the resources I saw online, but that that's how I understand districts to be. So these are public employees providing services to a private, a private partner. Here's, here's where the value I see in this system that's getting them to where they're at in 60 to 70%, which is really good cardiac arrest survivability rate, is this is a highly coordinated system from the top down, from management all the way down to ride operators. There's a set of protocols. There's a set of training when emergencies happen. This is how we're going to handle it. This is how we work together. Highly coordinated. The article highlights this relationship between the the prevention staff and personnel and their knowledge of the buildings and the infrastructure and the pathways that, that move about this labyrinth of a theme park. This is pre-planning at its best. I mean, these folks are very in tune with the types of equipment that they would have to operate around, uh, the environments to to mobilize folks into the most important piece, at least in cardiac arrest, access to AEDs, quick quick CPR if only our entire society could have folks as as well trained and ready to provide bystander cpr to someone goes down that 10% they're comparing themselves to would be would be much higher so i want to applaud the fact that i mean here is a private public partnership it is a highly coordinated system and and let's be honest disney has a very specific outcome that they're trying to accomplish they focus intimately on user experience on what folks experience is so they have an objective to ensure folks who come to their theme parks have an exceeding ex- expectations experience and to do so you have to you have to provide confidence and provide a safe environment for folks while we want that to be what all the rest of our you know government leaders are providing for their community they're not all, they're they're constrained in other ways that this system is not constrained that doesn't allow for what we're seeing as optimal resource deployment to help protect the the patrons who are in the park folks have to keep coming back and have to keep spending their money so that's a lot of motivation to build a system that makes sure people feel safe i think that is a gold standard frankly the correlation that, you know, that the article polls between, you know, Disney's rate and where, where you would be anywhere else is sort of an unfair comparison. I mean, it's against the, the the general population of a cardiac arrest survival of, of 10%. That's not sort of comparing them against other environments that are maybe a little more similar, other theme parks or other private venues that have trained staff and equipment on scene like major event centers. So I just want to, I I don't want to, I'm not, dissing their cardiac arrest survivability rate. I'm celebrating that, but just in a fair comparison, that, that doesn't mean if you were at another theme park, you're at a 10% likelihood of, of surviving versus being at a Disney park. Uh, it, that's just the population at large. And the reason in part is we don't have AEDs everywhere they need to be. People don't know how to use them or where to find them. And there's great, great software out there, or apps, is the not right. There's an app out there called PulsePoint It came into fruition for this very purpose is to alert bystanders willing to provide CPR in an emergency notification that there's an emergency that needs somebody willing to provide CPR and appoint them towards the closest AED. That system is still not integrated in all of our communities. And it really ought to be because that's the way we're going to get this 10% number up much higher. You know, we put cardiac arrest survivability on the national stage after DeMar Hamlin uh, collapsed at the NFL football game between the the Bills and the Bengals last year. Everyone in America was paying attention to cardiac arrest survivability. You know, that young man survived that event because there was a system that was highly coordinated with the right equipment and the right training available to him quickly. Much as would have happened if, if this event had occurred at a Disney Theme park. We want to replicate to the extent possible. We can't all have athletic trainers and physicians that are readily available on the norm, but you don't have to be an athletic trainer or a physician to provide hands-only CPR to somebody who's in cardiac arrest. And if we could build a community that is as quick to respond with the right resources deployed across across the uh, city, community, what have you, we can improve that cardiac arrest survivability rate. Uh, broadly. And I think that's an important point to bring up for this article.
1: Bob, Bob Smith, let me take a little stab at this first shout out to, to Hamlin. I love the fact that you brought him up, Bob. He officially made the 53-man roster for the Buffalo Bills. What a huge comeback story. I love that. I think it plays really, really nicely here. Again, love Disney. was just there in March. Took the whole family there. And I can tell you this, AEDs are prominently displayed for all to see in all the parks. Why do I connect that to the NFL and the Hamlin situation and the 53-person roster? Because it instills confidence. And then from that confidence, they get results. In the NFL, they were able to save the life of an NFL player. And in this case, Disney was able to save a life of one of their customers that were there enjoying themselves. So I I love the way that that ties together. It's training, it's technology, it's having things prominently displayed and giving confidence to those that see that, that, hey, I'm safe here. And there's people that are going to be trained to use it. So Uh, I think this goes, I think that goes to culture. I mean, there's so many great things going on here. And, you know, again, you know, I do love the company, but I just think that what they produce is a culture, an environment where the customer gets the ultimate experience to include that just absolute understanding that they're safe. And this is just another example of, how they're able to show the world what they're doing.
2: Mm -hmm. I, I definitely think this instills a sense of confidence. I mean, if I was an individual who was weary about visiting one of these theme parks due to medical issues, hearing about this program and the care and the thought that went into its development would definitely put my mind a little bit more at ease. The firefighter who was actually interviewed for this article mentions how 80 percent of the time when he is responding to a cardiac arrest, there's already an AED in use by a park goer who's just trying to help out, you know, another member of the public and people from all over are going to these theme parks. So that makes me wonder if the issue in other areas of the country may lie in informing your community of where they can find AED in a moment of an emergency or making them readily accessible to the public.
3: Samantha, that's you're you're spot on. And if you're a listener of this show and you have a business in the community and don't have an AED, go get one. I mean, these things are are relatively inexpensive by today's terms and then enter it into the database, enter it into the pulse point database, let folks know it's available there. If there's a cardiac arrest around the corner, they, they know where to come get the AED and be able to provide that type of life-saving help. Like this is the only way as a community, we're going to go ahead and uh, we're going to elevate what they point to as a 10% cardiac arrest survivability broadly to these higher numbers and give folks a fighting chance to survive it.
1: And let me throw out this bob and this is a shout out to all the fire departments out there maybe a community risk reduction opportunity and a way to integrate with partners in your community giving a hands-only cpr class to an amusement park that could be in your area could be that type of a training to a community center it could be to a large employer Think of ways where you can engage with your community, provide this hands-only CPR that pays dividends, work on grant opportunities, because maybe some of these businesses can't afford the AED, Bob, that you just pointed out they need. Find those opportunities to intertwine with your community to make it a safer place, because I can promise you this, economic development, people moving into a city has to have good health outcomes. People are not gonna move to a place where they do not have solid first response, and this is just a way to enhance it. So um, yeah, this is just, again, a shout out to the fire departments, get involved with your, with your partners and, and provide this type of training because it goes just such a long way.
2: Absolutely. Let's move on to our listener question of the week. Our listeners want to know, what is the most memorable or interesting call you have responded to during your time in the fire service?
1: Well, I'll take this one and it uh definitely the most memorable call for me was route 91. I can remember it uh, pretty clear. I can remember it like it was yesterday and it definitely had an impact on my life. It was an incredible sight, you know, as I as I made it down to that scene, I got a you know, a very urgent call from one of the deputy chiefs who was already on scene. And when I got there, it was uh, something out of a movie. It really was. It was something, it was apocalyptic and it was, you know, to say the least it was, it was memorable. And then, and then moving forward after that scene, it was something that was, it was new for me and it was ongoing. What I mean by that is the tremendous media attention surrounding the incident and all of these kind of ancillary challenges that stemmed from the incident created an experience that was very rare, very unique, and one that I'll never forget. I want to say from a professional standpoint, I, I felt, although no one ever wants this to happen in their community, No one ever wants this to happen to their community. I felt honored to be able to serve in that situation in that difficult time in the community. And it really is one of those once in a career type situations where you're hoping that you make the right decisions and you do the right things and and you make the most out of a really terrible situation. And um, do I know that I did all those things? I, I don't know. I just know that I, you know, I did my best and was 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 happy that I was able to to serve, you know, the firefighters that were on scene and the community in, in the way that I did. And it was, uh, yeah, just very memorable.
3: So many memorable calls. I'll try to be a little lighthearted to balance out the experience that Jeff just shared. You gotta also remember, we, we were both paramedics in Las Vegas. And the the high degree of craziness that occurs in that town makes for a book alone of the types of calls that we had responded to. Uh, and uh, any responder has you know a mix of of funny or or traumatic or you know emotional or heartwarming. And and there was one that stood out, and it's it, I found it to be. For an emergency responder, it's humorous, but it really it really is a serious situation. So it's not that not that humorous. But this particular I'll tell this one and then just one that I think is is just absolute funny, especially on the heels of our prior episode. We talked about 911 center call taking. Uh, but there was this this couple in their 70s who just, you know, were were at each other's throats on a on a regular basis. I had been out to this this house three times that day, uh, us and law enforcement because of conflict between them, just, just arguing. And they, on the second call, law enforcement put these, these, this, the husband and wife duo in different rooms in their apartment. Like you guys just stay in your different rooms and don't interact. And can't remember what the conflict was, but it it was seemingly something mundane. The third call out was for the, the husband of this scenario had unplugged the, the wife's Nasal cannula. You've seen these, these, these nas like this. This so is the oxygen machine at home. It's a nasal cannula, and it's attached to probably like seven hundred feet of of cord of 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 cannula length. You know, the 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 oxygen machines in one room, and you could be a block over and still connected to it. And this 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 husband. So frustrated, had unplugged her her nasal cannula. She called nine one one appropriately, so because she needs she needs the oxygen, and that earned him a trip to uh, to the detention center for for the for the night. And it was it was it was for as an emergency responder, I found a little bit of. Little just humor in in that element of, of conflict, although I, I'm not an expert in friction loss. I can't imagine how much oxygen actually makes it to the end of all 700 feet of that thing or whatever it was. That call, uh, that call stands out in my mind as we were talking about this and just one of the funniest 911 calls that came in. And I hope our friend Jeff, our friend Bruno listens to the show. Bruno shared this story with me one day about a call comes into the 911 center and a guy's frantic about a major fire that's encroaching over the mountains of of Las Vegas. Now Mount Charleston, which is near proximity to Las Vegas, has had its share of major wildfires. So it is not absolutely crazy that a wildfire could be approaching the community of Las Vegas. It was crazy at the time of year this call came in, but not crazy that there could be a wildfire. And as this guy is frantically reporting what he he sees as a large orange glow coming from the mountains, you're probably putting the pieces together. It was the moon. It was the moon and he figures out uh, this caller figures it out and he had to be high as a kite. Like he, he figures it out and the, the sound of embarrassment in his, in his voice was just absolutely, absolutely humorous. And Bruno uh, just doesn't, doesn't miss a beat. He's such a, such a, a great professional incompetent professional in that in that industry, you know, uh, calms the guy down. Oh, no, that's okay. This, you know, this this type of thing happens all the time. You know, as Bruno reports back, that does not happen all the time. Uh, that sticks out in, in my mind too.
2: Thank you, Bob and Jeff. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. If you have a question for the panel, please reach out to us at fireheadlines at wfca.com and let us know what's on your mind. We'll see you back here next week for more fire headlines.